Thank you, Randy and team. If I want to be known as something when I die, what do I want to be known as? A good father, a decent preacher, somebody who loves God. What would be the direction that I would want to be known as? Um, we'd all come up with a, an answer in our mind. We'll ask, let's ask the question, what about God? When you look at God, we'll ask the question, what does he want to be known as? Uh, when you think about him and the word that is proclaimed, what does he want to be known for? What does he want to be known for? Um, the answer is, I think he wants to be known for his amazing grace. The reason why God wants to be known for his amazing grace is because God's amazing grace proclaims his heart. It proclaims his love. It gives almost everything that is inside of him to a lost world that doesn't deserve it, but also a proclamation to the angels that are observing God. When Jesus Christ went to the cross and died for our sins and rose again, everybody is looking at that. And what do you see when you see that? You see the heart of God. You see the love of God. So if God wants to be known by his amazing grace, um, what do you think Satan would want to attack? He would definitely want to attack that one specific word. I've got to go after this grace. I don't want people to see grace. I don't want people to observe grace. I do not want people to embrace grace. In fact, Satan would almost, in his mind, exist to try to ruin grace, distort grace, or possibly even redefine grace. We're doing a four-week series, and it's called God's Grace. Three dimensions of grace is what we're looking into. Number one in our notes, the reason why we're looking into this is because we want to understand the Word, God's amazing grace. There are three dimensions of grace. Unconditional acceptance, empowerment for growth and service, and God's cleansing work in you. Now, as we look at these three dimensions, um, it gets really confusing, but it's really not, because the dimensions just work together to show God's beauty. But remember, Satan wants to destroy this. And as he wants to destroy this God's amazing grace, um, how does he attack the word grace? Well, there's kind of three people that come to church. There's legalist person, there's a lazy person, there's people that feel like they have a license to sin, and they use this word grace even to drive themselves off of, of um, this action and this behavior. Last week, this is just a review before we walk into the sermon. We have an unconditional acceptance here. That's what grace is. Grace is, I will love you, I will save you, I will do everything for you. My love comes to you, not necessarily your love come to me. My love will come to you. Unconditional acceptance. There's also empowerment for growth and service. That's what grace is. Grace is not only unconditional acceptance. There's a power that comes with grace for growth and service. There's also a cleansing of sin that comes with grace. Those three dimensions come to us with the one word, God's amazing grace. Now, the way that Satan distorts things is he will take a person and he'll say, well, you need cleansing of sin and you need an empowerment. And these two is what grace means. But if we leave out one dimension, something um, drastic happens. The thing that drastic happens is if you hold on to these two very, very strong, you actually changes your behavior almost into a legalist. What is a legalist? A legalist is somebody who walks in church and says, I have empowerment to overcome everything. I have a cleansing that has washed me clean, and I have energy to tell everybody how bad they are because I'm not thinking about the unconditional acceptance that I've received. The next chart I just want to look at 
again, unconditional acceptance, empowerment for growth and service, a cleansing from sin. If we do not hold those three in balance and we just hang on to unconditional acceptance and cleansing from sin, what takes place here? Often people will get complacent. People get relaxed. People step back and say, I don't really need to do much. I'm saved by unconditional acceptance and I'm clean. Have you ever met somebody in church that says, I'm just going to come on you know, maybe Christmas, come on Easter. I might just come once a week, not necessarily get involved or do. What's happening? They're hanging on to grace and they're using unconditional acceptance and cleansing, but not holding on to grow, power of growth and service. Looking at the three again, as we want to hold them into balance, unconditional acceptance, empowering and, cleansing, and cleansing. Some people can hold on unconditional acceptance and say, you know, I am free. Why? Because God has given me this amazing grace. I am empowered. God has given me amazing grace. But if we do not hold on to cleansing, that piece of the dimension, what takes place? You get a license to sin. License to sin is I'm saved by grace. I can really do whatever I want with anybody I want. It doesn't really make a difference. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And I have power to tell everybody the gospel. But my life really isn't all that important. That person does not understand grace as well. John 1.16 says, And for his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. All three of those work together, but we need to hold them all into balance. Number two, we are saved by grace. Unconditional acceptance is what we're going to focus on this morning. Saved by grace. Unconditional acceptance. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. You should not have it. But God came. God intervened. God has done all the work. God wants to make a picture of his heart to the lost world, and that picture is, I will save people who do not deserve it. And it will be by grace that you are saved, and it will not be upon your own. Acts 15, 11, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Ephesians 2, 5, it is by grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Thomas Watson said, he did not love us because we are worthy, but by loving us, he made us worthy. Grace makes a statement that I will do all the work you will see my heart displayed of how much I love you. And the word grace displays the heart of God to show us how much that he loves us. But if we're looking at saved by grace, we do have to ask the question, what are we saved from? If we don't want to understand this unconditional, um, um, unconditional love towards us, we want to understand the fullness of his beauty ask the question, what are we saved from? What does this grace look like? To answer the question, what we're saved from, number three, we are saved from being blinded by sin. Under the context of grace, we have these theological terms, and I'm not going to use the theological terms all the way through the sermon, but we have these theological terms, sovereign grace, prevenient grace, sanctifying grace, providential grace, saving grace, common grace. And when you look at these theological terms, these terms come from looking at the word, studying the word, and saying, what is this word doing? What is this word grace, God's grace, doing to us? 
one area that consistently talks in Scripture is that he's opening the heart of blindness. We are blinded by sin, and God wants us to know that first and foremost. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, As you were dead in your transgressions and sin. What does dead mean? Dead doesn't mean partially dead with one eye open. Dead doesn't mean that you still have a little bit of life to choose to get out of this sin. No, dead means dead in our sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And when the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This verse was given to us, I don't think to necessarily encourage us, but to really tell us who we are. And when I read this verse, what do we read? We are dead. We are objects of wrath. Now, when we think about this, it's like, well, I don't want to think about this. Let's just skip over that verse. No, God wants to communicate something to us so we understand grace. And this is why this verse is there. And this is why it is is trying to communicate the ugliness of us. Romans 3.10 says, There is no righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why? Because we are blinded by sin, according to this verse, so blinded that we are not only not righteous, but we do not even seek God. We do not even do what we need to do that God is asking us to do. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to even understand them. So those aren't very encouraging verses, and those aren't verses that are prompted on the screen all that often. But they're there to make a point of the state that we are in. Why is God trying to make this point to understand the state that we are in? Because he wants to show us the beauty of what he has to offer. Letter A, God's grace opens your eyes, heart, and mind to the desperate state you're in and your need for a Savior. Are you excited about grace? Does grace move you? Does grace motivate you? Does grace thrust you into the service? The reason why we are often not excited about grace is because we don't necessarily understand it. And the reason why we don't understand it is because we look at ourselves as saying, you know, I'm not all that bad. You know, I'm actually kind of good. You know, I'm going to start comparing and competing with somebody else. And we start to lift ourselves up. As soon as we start to lift ourselves up, we lift the word, or we take the word grace and we start pushing it down. Grace often doesn't drive us because we think of ourselves more better than the Bible is describing us as. Our eyes are blinded. We are objects of wrath. We do not seek God. But if we see the state we're in, we can see the beautiful grace that God has to offer. John 16, 
talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. When God looked at people, he knew that they were not going to choose him. Adam didn't choose him. Eve did not choose him. And when sin entered our system, we were not, we were not going to choose him. What does he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And his job is to do what? He's supposed to convict us of sin. He's supposed to show us the state that we're in. And not only once, but consistently show us the state we're in. Why is the Holy Spirit's job to show us the state we're in? So we can praise God for his amazing grace. So we can see the state we're in, turn around and say, I see the state I'm in, but I have this grace that has lifted me so far beyond. I do not believe, therefore God is going to come and do all the work for me. We won't be convicted without God's work in us. God wants to understand, wants us to understand that it's all his work in the only way that I'll even believe, according to this passage, if the Holy Spirit does his work on me. John 44, no one came, can come to the uh, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What's that verse saying? We, we won't even choose God without his amazing grace that comes to us and draws us to him. Luke twenty four forty five. Then God opened their minds so they could understand Scripture. What does that verse say? Verse said as God is even active, that as Scripture is spoken, people still might not hear it, even though when it's spoken... But God is doing something. God is offering grace, and that grace is, I will let you understand the Scripture that you read. I will let you understand the Scripture that is even spoken. We won't understand unless God does his work. Acts 16, 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the me- Paul's message. Here Paul was preaching. And as they're preaching, we think of, oh yeah, everybody's going to respond to the message because it was done with elegance. Oh, it was Paul's message. People would not understand Paul's message unless God is even doing the work, showing grace in us by, let me explain to you what the message even means. Let me explain to you to be even motivated by the message. Charles Spurgeon says, I take it that the highest proof of Christ's power is not that he offers salvation, not that he bids you take it, if you will, but that when you reject it, when you hate it, when you despise it, he has a power whereby he can change your mind, make you think differently from your former thoughts, and turn you from your air of your ways. Why is this important to understand this piece of grace? The reason why it's important to understand this piece of prevenient grace is, is what it is, um, is because God's based everything off of relationship. And everything that comes from a relationship with him is the item of prayer. We can't just accept God and be done with God. What grace is, is grace is accepting God, embracing the relationship with God, and then walking into church and saying, God, convict me. God, show me who I am. Show me the areas I need to work on. God, I don't want to accept your grace one once. I want your grace to work on me in every area of my life. It's walking into church and saying, God, open my ears today. 
Open my heart today to your word. God, I'm starving for your grace. When you're saying, God, I'm starving for your grace, what are you saying? You're saying, God, I'm starving for your love. I'm starving for your heart. I'm starving for your mind. See, our relationship with God is completely based on prayer. But are we starving for it? The reason why prevenient grace is so important to think about is because there's got to be prayers consistently coming off our lips. God, I don't want to embrace sin that has destroyed me. I want power to overcome it. God, I want to go to church. I want to hear a sermon that will impact me, knowing that the preacher up there really isn't any good. And he has nothing to say unless you say it for him. It's working into your devotions in the morning. And when you open the Bible, you're not just opening the Bible to check something off. You're opening the Bible to say, God, I won't understand a word of it unless your grace comes to me. Do you see what God wants? Is he wants a relationship with you. And the word grace is the one that builds a relationship from you, with you. And the reason why is because you get to know him. You get to know his heart. You get to know his mind. You get to see his hand. Grace is a word that hasn't been just given to you once, but grace is the word that's been given to you once for the purpose of always being there. What else are we saved from? We're saved from the penalty of sin. What is this? This is uh, saving grace, if we're looking into that doctrine. Sin is missing the mark, meaning that um, I have not chosen God. I have not earned God. I cannot achieve God. Heaven is not mine. But this is what God's grace looks like. God's grace is, I will intervene and I'll do the work that nobody else can do. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, there's my state again. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Is death. We are saved from the penalty of sin, and what are we saved by? Of course, God's grace. Letter A, God's grace paid the price you couldn't pay for your sin. Grace came down and again did all the work. Now we ask the question again, why does God come and do all the work? You ever look at the two most important commandments in the Bible? Love God and love others. The reason why God is doing all the work is because when you see all the work of God, are you going to fall in love with Him? Are you going to reject Him? Are you going to say, well, God, you do all the work, thank you, and then keep on going? No, you're going to say, God, you do all the work, and I want to come to church, and when we sing, I want to worship you. I want to love you. I want to see you. I want more of you. When we feed on grace, what takes place it is the thing that excites us, thing that lights us on fire because we see what he's given us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There's a negative verse for you, but it's not complete. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We look at the verse and say, ah, and then the other half of the verse we say, yes. That's the way God wants us to read the passage. The wages of sin in me is death. I should have it, but there is a gift and it is free, and it is from God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Really fast, what's the coming ages? The coming ages is eternity. What is this passage saying? For eternity, we will look back at the riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 1.7 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Saved from the penalty of sin? God knows what we needed, and therefore God stepped in, intervened, and did it all. Went and lived a perfect life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, and then rose again as a statement that you can be alive in him. Next thing we're saved from is we're saved from being bound by sin. This is under sanctifying grace if we're following the theological terms. The thing we need to understand about sin is sin is aggressive, addictive, poisonous, and it's after all of us. And if it doesn't take you over, and it will, if it takes you over, it will rob you of everything you have. It will rob you of your wife. It will rob you of your kids. It will rob you of your relationship. It will rob you of your image. It will rob you of your career. It will rob you of your relationship with God, and it will rob you of eternity. If you ask the question, what is the enemy? The enemy is sin. Why? Because sin is so addictive. Sin is so binding. Sin is designed to destroy, and once it gets a hold of you, it takes you for a ride that you really don't want to be on. Some people are addicted to cheating, addicted to selfishness, addicted to lying, addicted to pride, addicted to judging others, addicted to gossip, addicted to slander, addicted to hate, addicted to greed. How are you going to overcome those things? According to the Word of God, it's God's grace that will allow you to overcome those things. The 12-step program is given to those who are addicted to alcohol and drugs. The step, 12-step program, the base of the 12-step program is you got to connect with the divine if you're ever going to overcome that. Now, when I worked for the state of Oregon, what did we use? We did this 12-step program. And what did we teach the kids that were in prison? Because I worked with prisoners. We would teach them, according to the state, that you need to connect with the divine to be overcome it. See, what grace is, is grace not saving you once, but grace is walking with you, working with you, helping you. This is a consistent thing that takes place. Rather than one thing that happens, then you're done. Acts 8.23, For I see that you are full of bitterness and you are captive by sin. It's got a grip on you. 2 Peter 2.19, promising them freedom while they themselves were slaves to corruption. What is grace? Grace is seeing that, you are saved, seeing that you need God, seeing that you have a penalty that is paid by God, and also seeing that you are controlled by sin. What is grace going to do? Letter A, God's grace breaks the chains of sin from you. I had an individual come to me and... and um, and this was years ago, and he said, I, I need to take you out to lunch and, um, because I'm not sleeping at night, and I'm scared. And he said in the foyer, he says, I'm scared to death of going to hell. 
and um, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to a pastor. So we went out to lunch, and as we went out to lunch, um, he explained to me of his fears. Um, I'm, I'm afraid of, of going to hell. I do not know why. It's just I'm completely wrapped up in it, and I cannot get it out of my mind. I understand that piece, and I need to know what I need to do to be saved. Of course, I give him the message, you know what? There's nothing you can do. God has done it all. Therefore, what you need to do is you need to embrace God and come to his amazing grace and say, God, please save me. And as a result of God's work, you can be washed clean. You can be made whole. You can be made clean. It's nothing that you can do. He goes, are you serious? I said, yes, absolutely. He goes, let's pray. And what did we do? We, we pray, and he asked Christ in his heart and says, I'm free. I feel it. I see it. I'm excited about it. After lunch was the last time I ever saw him again. He's come to church for a year and a half. I never ended up seeing him again. What took place was we are often narcissistic, and we think about this unconditional acceptance. We think of this one thing that says, I don't want to go to hell. Give me something that will keep me out of hell. But grace is so much more than that. Grace is so much more than just getting a person out of hell. Grace is opening your eyes to the state you're in, getting you out of hell, embracing a Savior, but then also breaking the chains that destroy you. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We can take the grace and say, grace, I just, I just want this portion of grace. But grace comes in a beautiful package that brings salvation from our blinded eyes, salvation from our penalty of sin, but also salvation from the sin that consistently is attacking us and wanting to ruin us. Charles Spurgeon says, Paul doesn't talk about a kind of grace that would leave men in sin and yet save them from its punishment. No, his salvation is salvation literally from sin, and that's what he's trying to get you out of. What does this mean? This means that we are saved completely unconditionally, and when sin happens, we have a Savior that we can take sin to and say, God, I need to be set free again. I need to be set free again. God, I'm struggling, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. God, continue to help me. What happens with grace is that um, God has given it to us, and it's been displayed with us, and how we respond to it will almost even determine um, our reaction to God. And what I mean by that is that Peter sinned. And when Peter sinned, betrayed God, said, I do not know him three different times, even to young people, what did he do? Grace hit him really hard. And he said, what God has done for me, and look what I just did to him. There's another person right there during that exact time that sinned, betrayed him just as bad as Peter, and his name was, was Judas. And he sinned by selling Jesus to the cross. And what did he do when he had that sin that just completely took him, completely embraced him, and he saw it, he's like, ah, oh, this is not good. He didn't lean on grace to go to God. He didn't say, God, I need help from this. Conviction took place. He said, ah, oh, God, I want nothing to do with you. And then he went out. See, our responses of sin should be our responses to God. That's where the package of grace is, is that we consistently hang on to the Savior, walk with the Savior, and feed off of the Savior, feed off of that amazing grace that he has, he has to offer. 
Number six, the extent of belief a person has in God's saving grace should be the source that sets a Christian on fire for God and ministry. I went on a hike a couple weeks ago, and it was a 250-mile hike. Uh, it was half of Washington, and then I'm going to try to do half Washington next year. But what was, one of the things that was most important um, to me on that hike um, was my cell phone, believe it or not. And the reason why my cell phone was so important is because I had an app that um, showed me my exact location. It showed me all the camping spots. It showed me all the water spots. It showed me my complete trip. All I had to do was open it up, and I know how many miles I've gone, how many miles I'm going to go. I had all information on there. It made me nervous to just take an app. I thought I just need to take some maps as well. But I said, I'm just going to rely on my app. So I rely on my app, but I also relied on a battery charger that is charged by solar. Because I knew that for two weeks I would not be able to have that app for two weeks without it being charged. So I brought a battery charger solar. Five days into my hike, um, my battery was dying on my phone. And you wouldn't think it'd be a problem because I have a solar charger, but my solar charger was not getting enough light. Meaning that I'd walk into camp in the evening and I'd put my solar charger out there and, and light was not hitting it enough to charge its battery. Before I went to bed that night, I was a little panicked, thinking I can't lose my phone. In fact, if I lose my phone, I'm going to have to abandon the hike or I'm going to have to do something. What am I going to do? I fell asleep that night but woke up at midnight. And when I woke up at midnight, I was thinking, I'm going to lose my phone. If I lose my phone, I will not have the water sources. I will not have the camp sources. I will not have the trail to look at to observe. What am I going to do? Of course, as you think those thoughts, you don't fall asleep very fast. So 12 o'clock, I was thinking about that. 12.30, 1 o'clock, 1.15, 1.30. I was thinking, do you know what I need? All I need is light. And if I have light, I can put my solar charger out. What if I wake up right now, I pack up all my gear, my backpack, I put my headlamp on, I get on the trail, and I hike my 20 miles for the day, I'll get into camp at noon, I can open up my solar charger, and as I open up my solar charger, it will be completely charged because I'll have all day charging. I thought that was a brilliant idea, so I, sure enough, I woke up, and I packed up all my gear. At 2.15 in the morning, I was on my trail with a headlamp. Now, as I was walking... I noticed a light. I was about a mile away from my camp. I noticed a light kind of in a distance. It was uh, completely black outside, and there's no way I could determine what that light was. In fact, as I looked at the light, I was thinking, oh, somebody else had the brilliant idea to uh, hike in the middle of the night like myself. Um, so I noticed it was just kind of in a, in a glow, and I just kept on walking 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, and all of a sudden that light was right there, just next to the trail so close that I can even throw a rock at. You know what the light was? It was my headlamp reflecting off the eyes of a mountain lion. And as I looked at him, I will tell you, I gave him complete respect. The first thing that hit my mind was a couple months ago, somebody in Washington was riding a bike and was mauled by one of these. And the next thing that hit my mind is, this is really going to, to hurt. It's not going to be a good way to go out. And, um, and as I think about it, the reason why I saw him so far back is he didn't, wasn't just sitting there. He was, was walking with me. So I remembered the things that that other person did wrong. You don't run. Um, you relax. You act tough. <laughs> uh, I wasn't acting tough inside. But then you just start walking back and exiting 
you know, exiting as fast as you can, but not as fast as you can, just exiting slow. So I just started walking back, and then I turned around, and as I turned around, I looked back, knowing that, I don't know if you've ever seen a mountain lion in the dark, but they are literally like flashlights, if you see his light, and your light reflects off his eyes. I knew if he was being coming after me, but I will tell you, I started walking back, looking back, walking back, looking back, and I did that for an entire mile. I got back to my camp spot, I set up my tent, I hopped in bed, I did not sleep the rest of the night, and I said, all right, thank you, God, that he did not come after me, that he just sat where he's at, I'm going to stay here until sunrise. A couple of days later, I called my wife, and I said, you know, I was hiking at nighttime, and I, I saw a mountain lion, and she goes, you idiot, why are you hiking at night? You need to not do that anymore. And I said, I don't need to be told not to do it anymore. A lion told me not to do it anymore, so I think I will remain in bed during those times. But if you look at that story, there's no way that you cannot have emotion. Um, if you picture yourself in that situation, you can feel the emotion. I felt the emotion firsthand. I was at his disposal. He could have come after me, and if he did, I really didn't have much mercy. I mean, he probably wouldn't have shown me much mercy, and it's just the way it was. I was at his disposal, therefore I reacted. You control me, you own me, I will not go any further. I will not try to pass you. I will not try to, to um, go alongside you. I will exit you and give you all the space that you want. And he owned my heart. He owned my will. He owned my behavior. He owned my emotions. He owned my joy. And at that time, he even owned, I believe, my life. And when I sat in my tent, I'm like, thank you for his grace. When you look at grace and you look at God, he is the source that has all of it in his hands. Does he own your behavior? Does he own your attitude? Does he own your life? Does he own your joy? Does he own your actions? He owns it all. And why does he own it? Because he is in charge, and as you die and stand before him, one side will be burning to hell, and the other side will be glowing to heaven. And he has the keys to eternity. And when we look at this word grace, is there any emotion that comes from it? Is there any reaction that comes from it? A reaction that says, God, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved. A reaction that comes with whole health. A reaction of, God, I should have nothing, but I have everything. God, I shouldn't even exist, but I exist. God, I shouldn't be loved, but I am loved. What happens when I stand up between a mountain lion my body reacts. But what is the Bible for? The Bible for is to display a God that is so beautiful, so strong, that saves us when we don't deserve it and gives us absolutely everything that we shouldn't have. But what is our reaction to it? Acts 20, 24 says, However I consider my life not worthy to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of this grace. Paul had one drive. He received grace at Damascus, and that grace stayed with him so strong, so powerful, it was in his mind, it was in our heart, and according to this passage, it is driving him, and all he wants to do is testify to everybody else how amazing this grace is. Number seven, grace is not something that you use. Grace is something that uses you. I usually don't bring up Greek terms, but um, the reason why, because it makes me sound smart, but I'm not, I just look it up on the computer, so don't think that. Grace is charis in Greek. There's another word, joy. The Greek word 
is kara. Where does joy derive from? Where does it come from in, in the Greek language? It comes from the word charis. What does this mean? This means that joy does not come from situations, circumstances, or anything else. Joy comes from God, and that source is grace. That our emotions are changed, motivated, and pushed by this one beautiful word, which is the word grace. Let's look at another Greek word. Greek word gift is charisma. That's where we get the word charismatic. But where do we get the word charisma? Charisma comes from charis as well. Charismatic comes from the word grace. It is an emotional drive that is in our heart that when we look at it and what we, who we are and what we received, it hits us, it motivates us, and it excites us. 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So we could be thinking that, you know, grace motivates you, grace stirs you, grace pushes you, grace changes you, but you could be thinking, but how? Because I don't. I'm not motivated by the Word. I'm not challenged by the Word. How can I understand grace where my emotions would be moved? First thing you need to do, and this would be the challenge, pray. Remember what the word prayer is? Prayer is, God, I want a connection with you, and I need something. You're going to ask for something in this prayer. Pray to understand the black hole of sin and the hell that follows. Remember what sin is designed to do? It's addictive, and it's designed to take away your family. It's designed to take away your life. It's designed to take away your eternity. It's designed to take everything from you. Grace is designed to give everything back to you. But see, we just don't understand the depths of where we're at. And it's important to understand the depths of where we're at because you'll never understand grace until then. What should our prayers look like? God, open my eyes to who I am. Open my heart, even to the evil that is there. Open my mind and help me understand the position I'm in. And help me to convict my spirit. And, And God, I want you to give me the understanding of the evil that I do and the evil that I do to my family, my, my loved ones. God, I want to understand the things that I'm addicted to, whether if it's gossip or if it's slander, whatever these things are. Give me understanding of what addictive that I do. God, show me my need for a Savior. Show me the state that I am. This is not a very popular sermon because it makes us go, what? Low. But God wants us to go low. And the reason why is because He wants us to take us high. Number nine, after you've prayed that, to pray to understand the amazing grace you have received and the heaven that you are bound for. In my prayer journal, I, I do rock back and forth. God, help me to understand the state that I'm in and the grace that you've given me. God, please help me to understand the hell I'm bound for and the heaven I merit. God, please help me to understand the depths of sin that I have entangled me and the amazing grace that you have given me. A consistent prayer must come out. I want to understand who I am because if I understand who I am, I'll understand the amazing grace that you have given me. And God, it is then that it will motivate you. It is then that it will touch you. It is then that it will make you excited for God and his service. Father, we just thank you, God, for doing all the work 
You want nothing more than a relationship with us. And God, grace is the source of relationship. We see that you sacrificed it all, that you have given it all, and that you do all the work. God, I just pray that our response to you is, is love. Um, that we would be um, moved by what you've done for us, that we'd be touched by what you've done for us, we'd be motivated by what you've done for us. God, help us not to just accept you and call it good, but help us to um, embrace you and know that you're walking with us for the rest of our life with this amazing grace. Thank you again for it, and I just pray that we'll all be challenged uh, to live um, in the light of it. In Christ's name, amen.